Welcome back to Suiting Up Varsity, a podcast dedicated to the sound of the band, the smell of popcorn, the feel of an old letter jacket, the sight of teenagers hoisting trophies high above their heads, and most of all, to the grand history, fantastic stories, and engaging personalities of Nebraska prep sports. Join us as we look back in time at the great moments from a century plus of Nebraska high school athletics. This week, we travel through time to the Concrete Baseball Stadium on 13th Street in South Omaha. Today, that spot is part of the Henry Dorley Zoo parking lot, but we are heading back to 1964 when the stadium was only 16 years old, but had already been home to the NCAA College World Series for over a decade. In May of 1964, the stadium had been renamed to honor Johnny Rosenblatt, the community leader and former mayor who led the push to build the stadium in the 1940s and bring the CWS and pro baseball to Omaha. But as we arrive five months later, the locals are still fighting the habit of calling it Municipal Stadium. We are traveling back to Friday, October 23, 1964, not for baseball, but for a high school football game, as Creighton Prep and Omaha North battle for the top position in the brand new Omaha Metropolitan Conference. As we arrive, the two teams are warming up. Prep is in white with blue pants and blue helmets. Those helmets have the distinctive three stripes that still adorn Prep's helmets today though I notice they've changed to white helmets for the first time in their history and the three stripes are now blue. In 1964, it was three white stripes. The Vikings of North are in gold, gold jerseys with blue numbers, and Notre Dame-like gold helmets. Tonight, a winning streak has to give. Prep has won three straight, North five. Both are jockeying for the position at the top of the Metro with Omaha Benson. Prep has one loss, a shocker to Omaha Westside, and a tie with Benson. North stumbled out, stumbled out of the gate this year, losing to Omaha Tech 27-14, but is unbeaten since. North can win the conference by winning tonight and topping Central and Benson to finish the year. Prep needs more. They have to win tonight and sweep their final two with Bishop Ryan and Tech, and they need the Vikings to beat Benson in that north side finale. Of course, the possibility of ties in any or all of those games further complicates the conference race. But that race has built some built-in complications beyond that. The new league, one the modern Nebraska fan knows well, born only five months before this game, is playing a schedule in 1964 that was drawn up for an entirely different conference. Now, I'm not saying that they've just modified the old inner-city league schedule, the league that Prep and the Omaha public schools like North have played in for years. No, until March of 1963, those schools and several more in the state were planning on playing in something called the Quinn Cities Conference. And the schedules that Prep and North played in 1964 were designed to fit the Constitution and championship criteria of that league, not the Metro Conference that they were really playing in. I can hear you already. The Quinn what? Don't worry, we'll get back to that in a minute. But first, let's see what happened to Prep and North at Rosenblatt. We are sitting in the Rosenblatt stands with 8,000 fans as Prep takes the opening kickoff out to the 45-yard line and then heads straight down the field on the first drive of the night. Soon, junior halfback Mike Van Dolan strikes for the first points of the game on a 32-yard touchdown run, firing up the Prep crowd. 
The junior J defense, led by 6'4", 250-pound All-State tackle Sam Buda, shuts down North on its possession, and Prep leans hard on the run, moving down the field once again. With the ball at the Viking 3, Coach Don Leahy and quarterback Mike Dans give the ball to their All-State running back and all-time great namer, Gernon Longo, and he busts across the goal to put Prep up 13-0. I believe Longo is now a surgeon in the Omaha area. In the second quarter, we watch the Vikings finally get moving with the passing of quarterback John Yates and the running of their All-Stater, future Husker and NFL player Dick Davis. North reaches the prep 12-yard line, but then disaster strikes. The ball is suddenly bouncing loose on the Rosenblatt outfield, and the white and blue cover it. We will head to get some popcorn at halftime with the number two in the state Jays in control with a two-score lead over the number three Vikings. If someone has a radio in the concession stand, we might be able to get a score from Lincoln, where the number one team in the state, the Northeast Rockets, uh, the unbeaten and defending state champs, by the way, have built a 19-0 lead over Grand Island and seem to be on their way to setting up a clash with top five Benson next week. Tomorrow, in the Lincoln paper, we will see a picture of that game that offers a unique visual. Both teams seem to be wearing white jerseys. Now, maybe GI is wearing light gold, and the black and white newsprint of the day isn't picking it up? I don't know, but it sure looks white. The Islanders have a pretty traditional look. Think Baltimore Colts, but in purple. Double shoulder stripes, two stripes down the side of the white pants, one stripe on the white helmet. The contrast that may have saved the referees that night comes from Northeast's unique white uniforms. Now, the Rockets aren't the Nebraska school I usually think of when I think of cutting-edge uniforms. School colors of black and white tend to the conservative side, after all. When Rick Kalura and his basketball dynasty started incorporating more gray in their Northeast look during the 1990s, it seemed pretty crazy by rocket standards. But in 1964, no one had more hip and modern, and maybe misguided, uniform elements than the Rockets. First, the Rockets had black helmets, which would have helped the refs and spectators, but those helmets also had something rare for 1964, a helmet sticker, an upright, very simple, white Rocket silhouette. That may have been one of the first helmet logos in Nebraska, though at the Nebraska Hall of Fame I've seen pretty early prototype stickers on an Omaha Tech helmet from the late 50s. It's on the Northeast Jersey shoulders where things start to get weirder in 64. The Rockets have a single shoulder stripe high on their pads, but it's not a continuous stripe. It's made by a series of thick black dashes. Think of the side of Marquette's basketball uniforms. Such stripes weren't unheard of in the 50s and 60s. But the Northeast pants, I haven't seen many like them ever. They were black. They were white. It was a point of view issue. From the front, the Rockets seemed to be wearing solid black pants. But if you were behind the Northeast formation, you would swear they were wearing solid white pants. Only from the side could you see the yin and yang dividing line of the two colors. It looked like someone had sewn the front of a black pair of pants to the back of a white pair. Pretty crazy for old Northeast High. But maybe enough contrast to help players and everyone else tell the teams apart at Seacrest that night if they were really both wearing black. Oh, excuse me, white. I'll put the photo up on our show page at our website and share it on Twitter and Facebook so you can decide what you think. Northeast will win the game against Grand Island 19-0 to go to 7-0 on the year. Here's the twist. 
This game between Northeastern Grand Island was scheduled as part of the same conference, the Quinn Cities, that I mentioned earlier that was the North and Prep game's origin. A conference with Prep, Omaha North, Grand Island, and Lincoln Northeast? That's called the tease. More about it coming, out, coming up after we watch this game play out. Back at Rosenblatt, for the second half, the two defenses control most of the third quarter. Prep's early success has ended, and they're struggling to move the ball on the ground against defensive lineman Herman Pearson and the Vikes. The Jays only complete one pass in the entire game. North can't take advantage as Prep keys on Davis, who Greg McBride will compare to Gale Sayers at the end of the year. Davis will total 1,298 yards and 97 points before the season is done. The Vikings counter this by changing formations. They split out an end and flank two of their halfbacks to that side as well, creating what the modern fan recognizes easily as a trips formation, but which is so uncommon in 1964 that it gets an entire paragraph in the World Herald's game story. North's first play out of this spread formation is a double pass, with Yates sending a lateral pass out to halfback Jim Lutke, who then looks downfield for a big play, but the second pass of the play falls incomplete. The next two plays, though, Lutke takes that same quick lateral and breaks three for first down runs. Yates switches it up on the next play and goes to end Willie Ridley, who lined up opposite the trips. With Prep knocked off balance by this formation change, Davis takes over, carrying the ball on five of the next seven plays as the march continues and finally driving across from the three-yard line to make this a one-score game in the fourth quarter. Prep runs some time off the clock, but has to give the ball back to the Vikings at midfield, with a minute 23 still showing on the Rosenblatt scoreboard. Trailing 13-6, North needs the TD and the point after to tie the game and keep the inside track for the first ever Metro Conference title. Yates starts off the drive with a pass to Galen McCluskey to take the ball to the J27, and the crowd is ready for a big finish. His next pass, though, is picked off by prep defensive back Phil Bruning, and the Jays are the ones stepping up in the Metro title chase. It's Benson and Prep now, by virtue of their Week 4 tie, who are in the lead. If Benson wins out, they are the first-ever Metro champion. Prep needs to win out and then get help from that team they've just beaten, Omaha North, who plays Benson in the season's final week. The new Metro is a 13-team conference, but only nine teams have enough football games to qualify for the title. Prep, Benson, and North, of course. Also, Omaha Tech. Boys Town, who's finally been allowed into the Omaha Conference, Omaha South, Omaha West Side, Omaha Central, and Bellevue, who's also been added in, uh, raising their rank from suburban status, I guess. That leaves four teams in the new league who don't have enough games to qualify. Omaha Bishop Ryan, just six years old at this time, Omaha Beverage, a new public school that will become Burke High when its campus at 122nd and Dodge is completed, and two Council Bluffs public schools, Abraham Lincoln and Thomas Jefferson. That makes for a strange first year, and not at all the way the Metro would be organized for football in the 10 pre-playoff years from 1965 to 1974, when they will have two divisions and play a title game. Even the teams that are eligible for the championship have very uneven schedules. 
Bellevue, new to big-time football, and Boys Town, new to full-time Nebraska football, just have the minimum five games. The West Dodgers played prep and lost, but none of the other top teams, North or Benson or Westside. Bellevue played North, Benson, and Westside, but not prep. Prep, Tech, Westside, and North have eight league games, while the others have just seven. How did this happen? I'll tell you on the other side of the break. This week, I want to combine the two things I've been doing on breaks this season. Both continue to promote the Nebraska High School Hall of Fame and talk about great resources for Nebraska high school sports history that are available on the Internet. One great place is the Nebraska Hall of Fame website at nebhalloffame.org. They have individual bios for all the inductees sorted by name and by year. And each inductee is listed with their hometown. And details of their bio uh, cover their uh, high school careers and post-high school careers. It's a great place to just spend some time looking around and familiarizing yourself with different great high school athletes. Again, that's at nebhalloffame.org. And once again, I I would recommend uh, get to the Hall of Fame itself at 500 Charleston Street, Suite 3, Lincoln, Nebraska. That's right in the NSAA's uh, building, north of the Haymarket, north of the baseball field there. Uh, it's, it's a great way to spend a day in Lincoln. Open Monday, Wednesday, and Friday from 10 to 4 p.m. Okay, let's get back to the story of how the first ever Metro football season, fall of 1964, was run on a schedule that was drawn up for a totally different conference. The uneven schedule of the Metro Conference's first year happened because that football schedule was drawn up for a completely different conference that included some of those teams but left out others, including many non-Omaha teams. It was a conference that, had had it survived, might have changed the organization of Nebraska's largest class forever. The Metro Conference, the dominant Class A institution for most of the last half century, had to be cobbled together very quickly from the ruins of the aborted Quinn Cities experiment. So finally, we're ready for the story of the Super Conference that never was, and how it played out a ghost season, as its never-to-be-united teams still followed the Quinn Cities football schedule in the fall of 1964. Now, we have to start this story by going back a year. In November of 1963, school leaders from five Nebraska cities, five, hence Quinn, Omaha, Bellevue, Lincoln, Grand Island, and Hastings, walked out of an all-day meeting in the capital city and announced a new conference, which the World Herald's Condi Sargent called, quote, a milestone in Nebraska high school athletics, unquote. It would be a 14-team loop, anchored by the five biggest Omaha publics, Central, Tech, North, South, and Benson, and all three Lincoln publics, High, Northeast, and Southeast. Those teams would be joined by Creighton Prep, Omaha Westside, Omaha Bishop Ryan, a Catholic school in South Omaha that had opened in 1958, Bellevue, Grand Island, and Hastings. The Quinn Cities would unite 14 of the biggest schools in the state into one league. Expansion spots would be reserved for one new Omaha school, presumably Beverage, which would become Burke and was already open, but much smaller than the others in 1964, and one new Lincoln school, as plans for Lincoln East were already well underway at this time. There is no question that this conference would instantly change the dynamics of big school sports in Nebraska. 
Just one day after the new league was announced, Greg McBride's final football top 10 for 1963 included nine members of the new proposed Quinn Cities Conference. Only the Big Ten champion, Scott's Bluff, crashed that party. This idea hadn't appeared out of nowhere. The big district public schools in Lincoln and Omaha had proposed an eight-team metropolitan, they called it, conference as far back as 1957. Newspapers of the time mentioned in some trial uh, mentioned some trials and scheduling, and even some details about how championships would be decided. But it never seems to have come to fruition. One proposal that was a part of those early talks for this league was a fourth season in Nebraska high school sports for baseball. The big schools liked the idea of protecting track and still being able to play school baseball in a fourth school-sponsored season that would run into the summer. Like everything else about this league, that idea, which is how Iowa handles high school baseball and softball, by the way, just faded away. Also remember that even though the modern prep sports fan in Nebraska expects Omaha schools to have an Omaha-only conference and Lincoln schools to have conference of their own, that had not been the paradigm for forming conferences before 1960. Before the Quinn Cities was proposed, Lincoln High, the most successful athletic program in the state, had never been in a conference with other Lincoln schools. In fact, they'd never been in a conference with any Nebraska schools except Omaha schools. For the first half of the century, the Lynx were members of the Missouri Valley Conference with Omaha Central, South, and Tech, and several out-of-state teams, Sioux City Central, Sioux City East, and Council Bluffs' Abe Lincoln. St. Joseph, Missouri Central was also part of the league in the 20s and 30s. One of the reasons the Lynx were considered the best athletic program in the state through that era was that the Missouri Valley Conference schedule was always considered the top available. After the Missouri Valley disbanded in about 1949, it kind of had a slow ending, Lincoln High spent almost a decade as an independent and then joined the Omaha Council Bluffs Intercity League in 1957, the one that is considered the predecessor of the Metro. They didn't join the Mideast, where their fellow LPS schools, Northeast and Southeast, were playing. So, even though it involved Omaha and outstate schools, one of the things the Quinn Cities was to accomplish was to get all of the Lincoln schools under one roof, including preparing a home for the East High Spartans when they opened their doors at the end of the decade. For the Omaha schools, the reasons to embrace the Quinn, Quinn Cities idea were murkier. They had already absorbed suburban Omaha West Side of the Independent School District 66 into the inner city, so one would think that Bellevue could have been handled in the same way. And the Quinn Cities, already so big with five and soon six non-Omaha members, would be difficult to expand as OPS expanded into the Irvington neighborhood, the school that will become Omaha Northwest, and the Southside Sarpy County neighborhood where Omaha Bryan will be built. As was already in the planning stages in 1963 Omaha Public School School Board meetings. Grand Allen and Hastings would seem to be motivated by the train leaving the station. Class A was 32 teams, and most of the top 16 by size were in Lincoln and Omaha. If GI and Hastings let the rest of the Big 16 organize without them, how would they maintain schedules for their younger teams at multiple levels and for non-football and basketball sports? 
Whatever the motivations, the 14 teams of the Queens, Quinn City mar- marched out of that meeting with a plan. That plan would divide the schools into American and national divisions, a concept the Metro would borrow when it finally had its own schedule in 1965. And it would compete in 10 different sports. That would really be the first time a conference in Nebraska had, had, ex- had dealt with all sports, with all teams. The Quinn City's divisions would break down this way. The OPS 5 plus Prep and Westside would be the American division. Bellevue and Bishop Ryan would leave the city to compete with the Lincoln schools, Grand Island and Hastings, in the national. That alignment showed the first cracks in the shiny new league as Bellevue and Bishop Ryan cast the dissenting votes, but that was quickly patched over and the Chieftain and Knight representatives even officially changed their votes to make the division lineup unanimous. In football, the divisions would play round-robin schedules and the champions would meet in a November playoff game. In basketball, the entire conference would play each other and no playoff game would be necessary. These decisions were made in the first meetings in November. That's pretty late to be putting together football schedules for the next fall. The Quinn Cities got to work right away and had football schedules set by December 19th. There were a lot of details to decide and adjustments would be needed, and the league seemed intent on making this happen. The real challenges to the league, though, would come from the outside. Three schools had already sent letters to the league asking to be included. Council Bluffs Abraham Lincoln, which had been an inner-city conference member for decades with the Omaha Publix and Lincoln High. Um, Boys Town. Father Flanagan's suburban campus, which had been petitioning for inner-city conference membership since 1946, and as we are chronicling this season on Suiting Up Varsity, had built an amazing reputation as a national football power, and Lincoln Pius X, growing quickly since the changeover from when it was called Lincoln Cathedral. The Thunderbolts were competing in Class A at this time, and though not near Lincoln high size, they were close enough to the size of Lincoln Northeast and Southeast to want to compete on an equal footing in the city. Cries of dissent came from outstate, too. Grand Island and Hastings were among the biggest and most centrally located of the schools in the then 18-year-old Nebraska Big Ten Conference. Their rivalry had been a key piece in the origin of the league, as we discussed in an episode last season. Though though the other Big Ten schools made no official announcement, one of their coaching deans, Scotts Bluffs veteran track coach Wayne Benfield, predicted that if the Islanders and the Tigers joined the Quinn City, they were, quote, through with the Big Ten right now, unquote. He threatened, quote, they will not be allowed to compete in the Big Ten this winter or next spring if they join the Omaha Lincoln League, unquote. Now, I doubt there was any mechanism in the Big Ten Constitution that would allow such immediate repercussions. The basketball season Benfield was making threats about was actually just weeks from beginning at that time. But Hastings and Grand Island would have some soul-searching and negotiating to do in the next few weeks before they officially cast their lot with the Quinn Cities. The local Hastings paper, the Tribune, was hesitant to see the Tigers leave behind their traditional Big Ten foes. Editor Doyle Smith would write, quote, The Big Ten needs Hastings and Grand Island, and Grand Island and Hastings need the Big Ten, unquote. 
By the time the two met with the rest of the Big Ten, some maneuvering had obviously occurred. It was decided that the National Division would only play five of the six division opponents in football, so that GI and Hastings had flexibility to stay in the Big Ten and play the four East Big Ten football games required. This meant that the two cities could have dual membership, playing five Quinn Cities games and four Big Ten games. The new conference's first hurdle seemed to be cleared, though I've never seen a discussion of the fact that either of those teams could have qualified for the championship playoff in both leagues, which were both scheduled for November 13, 1964, and thus that would require uh, some uh, quick moves. Columbus football coach Del Miller, whose team will play prominently in the 1964 state title chase when we get to it, looked on the bright side and saw the Quinn City's formation as maybe a step toward a uh, state football playoff. He envisioned an expansion of the Big Ten to include the other uh, schools in the top 16 of Class A and dividing them into two divisions to mirror the Quinn Cities, and then a playoff of the two conference winners to decide the state title. Basically, his idea was for a four-team bracket of division champions from two super conferences. While the Big Ten was looking like it would remain intact, if maybe weakened, the Big East Conference of the Lincoln schools, Beatrice, Fairbury, and Hastings, was certainly dead. Beatrice, at first, was suggested as a replacement if the Big Ten lost Hastings and GI. Eventually, Fairbury and Beatrice will both find a home in the smaller southeast regional conference, the Twin Rivers, with Crete, Plattsmouth, Falls City, and Nebraska City. The issue with Pius is handled pretty easily as well. There was no room for the Thunderbolts in the Quinn City, but the Lincoln Publics pledged that they would give Pius first consideration in all out-of-conference scheduling and affirmed that they were interested in playing out the city championships uh, and to include the Bolts in that. Pius seemed satisfied with that assurance. As far as the other outside complainers, um, Council Bluffs Abraham Lincoln had been a part of the inner city for decades, as had their sister school, Thomas Jefferson. But their concerns seemed to have been pretty easy to ignore. Uh, They were from another state, after all, and it was easy for the Nebraska schools to just decide Council Bluffs should solve their problem on their own side of the river. The Lynx and Yellow Jackets started working on that right away and basically uh, tried to put together the old Missouri Valley gang with the Sioux City schools. They also talked to the Sioux, Sioux Falls schools as well. None of that seemed to bother the Quinn City schools. That leaves us with Boys Town, and this is where the Quinn Cities begins to fall apart. When the first rumors of the formation of the new conference started circulating in the summer of 1963, Boys Town's exclusion and a possible Creighton prep role in that decision made it into Wally Provost's column in the World Herald. Provost proclaimed prep innocent with a quote from coach and athletic director Don Leahy, Quote, we have absolutely no objection in the world to Boys Town coming into the league, unquote. Provost spent the rest of the column theorizing about who else might be standing in the boys' way, though he never points a finger directly at any school. He ended the column with this question, quote, is the school's admission an achievement in petty thinking, unquote. Once the conference was officially announced, Monsignor Nicholas Wagner, the leader of Boys Town since Father Flanagan's death, took the, to the papers to express surprise that the Cowboys had not been included. Quote, of course, that leaves us high and dry, he said. 
The Quinn City's rejection and Boys Town objection to it seemed to finally bring issues to the surface that had been submerged for decades in the relationship between the West Dodge Boys and the other high schools in Omaha. Several letters to the editor in the World Herald brought up things, and articles uh, that were certainly part of Boys Town's response revealed others. Let me go through some of the things that seem to be problem here. First of all, there seemed to be beliefs that Boys Town was gaining advantages by playing older players, uh, that they were recruiting players to campus, and that somehow they had more full-time coaching staffs than other high schools. Boys Town answered that they had followed the NSAA eligibility rules since they had joined the associations in, in the late 1930s. School Superintendent Howard Crawford pointed to the example of track champion and football standout Charles Deacon Jones, who we'll talk about in a later episode when we get back to the Boys Town story, who competed for the Cowboys in 1952-53 as a junior, but then did not compete in 1953-1954 as a senior because he had turned 19 one day before the NSAA got deadline. Crawford also stipulated that the boy, that boys were brought to campus only on a need basis and never recruited as athletes, and that Boys Town never employed coaches who weren't also teachers. That's kind of an interesting modern connection as Boys Town has made some changes recently uh, just because of that. Uh, maybe we'll talk about that later on in a Boys Town episode. Others uh, saw the Boys Town summer camp at Okaboji as somehow an athletic advantage or felt that the do- dorms the boys lived in gave the Cowboy teams extra opportunities to prepare. Crawford pointed out that athletes were treated just like every other boy in the orphanages program and that the general welfare and the future of the boy was the focus of the community at all times. By December, the World Herald reported that a four-man commission had been set up, presumably by Boys Town, though the story is vague, to investigate why the West Dodge boys had been excluded from the new league's plans. Politically connected, Omaha postmaster John Munley would lead the commission. He was quite a colorful Omaha character. Munley was an Irish immigrant who settled in South Omaha as a child with his family. He shows up in newspapers during the Great Depression for a variety of minor scrapes with the law, but he emerges from it as the owner of the popular, almost legendary, Duffy's Tavern. From there, he begins to show up in various accounts of local politics, serving on this commissioner that, and by the 1950s, he is elected to the Nebraska legislature to serve South Omaha. In 1961, he resigns that position to accept an appointment from President John F. Kennedy to serve as the Omaha Postmaster. It's not a leap to guess that his connection to Father Flanagan, also an Irish immigrant, though from a generation before, might be pretty strong. He is enlisted to aid Boys Town in its quest for conference inclusion. All of this is percolating throughout the 1964 basketball season until state tournament week when this bombshell hits the papers. The headline says, Boys Town give an invitation to join Quinn City's league. The story said that the Omaha Public Schools superintendent, Paul Miller, had offered Boys Town the conference spot that had been reserved for the new OPS school, presumably Burke, which was actually already open as Beverage Junior Senior High, but not yet ready to compete at the highest levels. The OPS spokesman, quoted in the article, said Miller had contacted all districts except Lincoln and that he had received a reasonably favorable opinion. 
The remainder of the article, though, quotes principals from Grand Island and Lincoln Northeast saying almost the exact opposite. There was trouble in the new conference. The same Saturday that the story trumpeting Boys Town's invitation appeared in Omaha, the Hastings Tribune was saying that the Omaha superintendent had, quote, dropped a hot potato in the laps of school officials, unquote and that it seemed unlikely to get the needed unanimous consent from all schools in the conference that was required to expand by the conference's constitution. Five days later, Wally Prevost slipped a couple sentences into his regular column apologizing for the World Herald's headline that made the Boys Town inclusion look like a done deal. Two days after that, there is a story about a league meeting that produced no decision, but a plan to meet again the next week. And then on March 26th, it was all over. Quote, the Nebraska Quinn Cities League was abolished at a meeting in Lincoln this morning. Unquote, said the World Herald. Obviously, the Omaha schools politically could not proceed without Boys Town, and the other schools were not interested in growing the already difficult to manage 14 teams to a larger number. Of course, from our perch far far removed in history, we know that the league was untenable. The large number of schools were ungainly, and none of the contemporary accounts seemed to notice the suburban issue, which we know will be much more unworkable than just Boys Town, namely Millard, Papillion, Ralston, and eventually Elkhorn and Gretna. One league was never going to be able to house all the biggest schools in the state as the Omaha metro area continued to grow. The Omaha schools immediately went to work creating the Metropolitan Conference, which would become a home for all large city and suburban schools in the Omaha area, including Boys Town and the Council Bluff schools. By October, Lincoln, Hastings, and Grand Island would join with North Platte to form the Trans-Nebraska Conference, while allowing double participation and saving the Nebraska Big Ten. The Metro is still going strong after half a century. If you want to really take a look at the great history of the Metro Conference, search for Stu Pospisil and Metro Conference 50th Anniversary. He has a great story that the Omaha World Herald has archived on their website that runs through all the history and the different schools as they joined and left the conference. The Trans-Nebraska Conference with Lincoln and Grand Island Hastings and North Platte remained intact until 1978 when it was expanded with the additions of Columbus, Beatrice, Norfolk, and Kearney and then immediately split into two divisions of large and small schools with Hastings joining the newbies to form really a separate conference. In 1985, both the Trans-Nebraska and Big Ten were ended to create the Greater Nebraska Conference, again with two divisions sorted by size which operated as distinct leagues. The larger division, containing the Lincoln Public Schools, Grand Island, and Fremont, eventually became the Heartland Conference. Lincoln Southwest and North Star joined when they opened. Norfolk and Kearney recently announced jumps from the smaller conference, still called the Greater Nebraska, to the Heartland. And in the last unresolved thread of the Quinn City's attempt, Lincoln Pius X, back in Class A for an extended time for the first time since those mid-1960s, was invited to join its public school mates in the Heartland League. But back to the death announcement of the ill-fated Quinn Cities in 1964. One line from that story gave the Quinn its only star turn on real playing fields of Nebraska prep sports. Quote, All schools will honor obligations made thus far. 
unquote. That meant that though the Quinn Cities didn't live long enough to make it to its first football season, its schedule would be played out in the fall of 1964. I don't know what to call it, except a Ghost League. So, who were the Ghost League champions? Well, we'll find out next week when we play out the 1964 Quinn Cities uh, conference schedule uh, and see who would have won the Quinn Cities and, of course, also find out who won the Metro, who was the Lincoln champion, who won the Big Ten, and who was our Nebraska state champion in 1964. But you'll have to wait for that until next week when we run the next issue of Suiting Up Varsity. Until then, follow us on Twitter where our handle is at SuitUpVarsity. See us on Facebook at facebook.com slash SuitingUpVarsity. Or check out our website where we post show, show notes at SuitingUpVarsity.org. When you get there, you can ask questions about Nebraska high school sports, leave suggestions for future episodes, uh, you know, put a spoiler up of who really wins the state in football in 1964. Uh, we just love to hear from you. Also, if you like this podcast, take time to rate us at Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or wherever you find your podcasts. It really helps others to find our show. Just one rating and comment uh, can really help us in the algorithm they use. So when people search for things like Nebraska, sports, or high school, uh, they run across our podcast. We'd love to have more people listening. This has been Suiting Up Varsity, Season 2, Number 4, Part 1 the Ghost Conference of the Quinn Cities. Written and produced by me, Greg Mays. Technical and research assistance by my brothers, Tate Mays and Trent Mays. Helpful audio advice and encouragement from Chris Shukai. And as always, dedicated to Jerry Mathers, the godfather of Nebraska high school sports history and the inspiration for this podcast. Suiting Up Varsity is the anchor show of the Nebraska Varsity Network. Copyright 2017.